Welcome to Aphesis Church Podcast Channel. If you're in Columbia, South Carolina area, we would love to get to know you better and for you to experience what Aphesis is all about. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at aphesischurch.com. It is our prayer that this message truly speaks to you. God bless. Amen. I want to talk tonight about uh, weapons of warfare. Um, I'm not uh, ignorant, obviously, to the fact that this, the subject of war is on everybody's mind, on a lot of people's minds. Um, amen. So I hope to do, a, I hope to help somebody tonight and um, hopefully make the case that in order for you to fight spiritual battles, you need to have spiritual weapons. Um, you know, what we see happening in the physical realm is oftentimes a, uh, uh, an image or a picture of what is actually occurring in the spiritual realm. And we, we the church, would do well to pay attention, to pray, um, to stay aware, to walk circumspectly, as the Bible says, redeeming the times. Amen. And it's not for us to worry, but it's for us to understand. It's for us to uh, to look out into the world and see that it's our job as the church, as believers, to lead um, to lead the world and to lead those who are hungry and searching. Amen. To the master, to Jesus Christ. Amen. And so my text tonight is uh, coming from Second Corinthians, chapter 10, verse three through six. It says, for though we walk in the flesh. We do not war according to the flesh. Already we are familiar with the scripture, but what Paul is doing here is, uh, I mean, you can already see that he's making the distinction or the connection that we as believers, we live and exist really in two realities. In one sense, we have the, the flesh, the world, the physical things that we can see and, and, and touch and interact with. But on the other hand, as he continues here in verse four, we also exist as believers and, and uh, interact with the spiritual spiritual realm. Uh, verse four says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. And then he gives us a list of four things. Number one, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Number three, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And number uh, four, being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. I love how he says that, you know, it kind of goes back to what Jesus said, you know, before you uh, uh, pull a, a beam, y- y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, you see the beam in your brother's eye, uh, but you've got a beam in your own, you know, or something like that. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Uh, but it, it, this same idea is displayed in that you can't, punish disobedience until you're under obedience. (laughs) You've got to be in obedience. You've got to obey. You've got to hear uh, from God before you can go and talk about what other people are doing or not doing. Amen. So uh, these things are important to us. And so, you know, I, I, um, if I'm being honest here, this, this uh, uh, Monday night, I um, didn't really have an idea of what I wanted to, to speak about tonight, uh, and it's not for lack of uh, available 
thoughts and sermons and teachings that God has laid on my heart. Um, but I guess I was struggling with where to, how to, where to come from, what angle to come from, how do, how do we answer these questions? And so I, uh, Monday night I fell asleep late praying. Tuesday night I woke up early. Um, and then the Lord reminded me of this lesson um, that he placed in my heart. Actually, uh, I looked back at the history of my um, Google Docs and this note was entered on October 7th, 2022. And the, the angle that I'm going to come from tonight, that's important because um, Hamas attacked Israel on October the 8th, 2023. So almost a year to the date when God placed this, uh, this message here on my heart. And so I hope to be able to answer some of these questions that we all have on our hearts that I, that I, that I know that we are asking um, ourselves and some of you have out, outright asked me, um, but like many of you, I've felt the, the weight of this, uh, this current global climate. Um, and there are many questions on the hearts of the people is, for example, is Israel to blame for what some view as decades as a decades long genocide, right? For revolution, uh, is Hamas a systemic cell representing the perspective of those who feel oppressed, uh, or is Hamas a terrorist organization that should be utterly and completely obliterated from off the face of the earth. How should the church respond being adopted as a spiritual Israel? While we, we like the hashtag pray for Israel, are we also considering the hashtag pray for Palestine? Pray for all those who are uh, really casualties in this war that is occurring in the physical realm, but what I feel is a depiction and an image of what is happening in the spiritual realm. One, of the, one other question I, I feel that we're asking ourselves is, are we to believe that Israel is justified in continuing the counteroffensive regardless of the casualties? Let me just be plain. I think that uh, this attack was uh, cowardice. It was cowardly. Um, I'll just just make that plain. And I think that Israel had the right to respond. But the the second and uh, and perhaps um, more powerful position that I take is we need to keep in mind all those who are suffering because of what is happening over overseas. And you know there are answers on every side that are not without justification. So I want to tonight pull us out of that that discussion for a moment. Um, you know, I, I see us, we're, we're all in this beaker together, this flask of, of confusion and this flask of, of, of just, um, uh, you know, again, answers on every side. Everybody's got an answer. Everybody's got an opinion about what's happening overseas and what's happening in the Middle East. But I want tonight to pull us as a church out of that beaker just for a moment. Don't worry. It's still going to be there when you leave. When you leave church tonight, it'll still be there. The arguments will still be there. Your positions, your opinions will still be there. But I want to pull us out of that tonight. And I want to answer a, a, a perhaps a bigger question. Uh, and it really comes from a question that my Levi asked me a couple days ago um, when we were doing devotion. And he asked this question, Daddy, why is the Bible so violent? Why is the Bible so violent? I shared a little bit of this, uh, or I shared that story with our house to house group last week, this subject came up. Um, but I kind of want to answer that, that question and leave the other stuff here just for a minute. But you'll see hopefully by the end that it's, it's, 
it's all connected. Um, you know, the Bible and specifically the Old Testament is really nestled within a, a warrior culture. Um, there's war, there's conquests, there's victories, there's uh, or victorious battles. All of this was normal in that day. Uh, but even further back than that, the heart of humanity was plagued when Adam and Eve fell in the garden. Because what that resulted in was a creation that progressively devalued life. We progressively devalued life, and that continues to this day. Paul here in our opening text in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, number one, within the context, yes, he defends his ministry from those who were saying that he didn't have a right to preach what he was preaching. He didn't have a right to be an apostle. But Paul does a second thing, too, where he draws a contrast between the war riddled culture of the Old Testament and the spiritual warfare at the core of human existence. This is an existential question about about how we operate and how we move in the world with regard to violence and warfare and conquest and uh, those things. And so in the Bible, there is a theme. This battle theme runs all throughout, especially the Old Testament. You don't hear about it so much in the New Testament outright. But if you just study the, the, the world context of the New Testament, you'll know that there was that, 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 that war, that battle, that stuff was still occurring. But these stories more so exist outright in the Old Testament. Um, let me read something from you, to you from the, dictional, the Dictionary of Biblical Imagery. It says, in numerous stories of warfare, the initial action is provocation by one nation against another. Such provocation might consist of ongoing antagonism toward a neighboring nation or a raid designed to yield spoils of war. But the main pattern in the period of Israel's kings is an invasion from a superpower like Assyria or Babylon designed to conquer and assimilate a nation. That's the end quote. Biblically, Israel in most cases was not in the position of being a superpower, but rather the underdog. That is, of course, unless God was on their side. Because when God's on your side, I mean, who can be against you, right? It's like, this is a, this is a win. It's an easy win, right? But when God was not on their side, if you take, take God out of the picture, God was not on their side, they, were, they would be considered the underdog, right? Um, a couple other things that play out in this ba uh, battle motif is that if God directed them to proceed, they would be victorious. Uh, in fact, we know this because God directs Israel to proceed with taking the promised land, for example. Uh, they sought the Lord oftentimes before proceeding. For example, Gideon asked God for a sign. You remember the story. He said, God, I'm going to take this fleece. Uh, you know, I'm going to put it out. If it's wet, I'm going to go. Okay. He said, and then he came back and said, God, uh, I want to test it one more time. I'm gonna, it's wet. I'm going to put it out. If it comes back dry, then I know we're supposed to go. Right? Not only was he fleecing God, but really at the heart of that, he's asking God for permission. Is this okay to go forward with this? Okay, so that's an important thing. Uh, disobedience and proceeding without God oftentimes resulted in defeat or worse, judgment. In some cases, if the people proceeded without God, they lost um, Moses said on one occasion uh, to the people, don't go because God is not with you. And they went anyway. And guess what? They lost. <laughs> okay. Old Testament Israel 
Here's another uh, important consideration. Old Testament Israel was not the same as modern day Israel in terms of having a professional military. For example, when Deborah and Barak led the battle against Sisera, the Bible implies that not one shield or spear could be found in the land of Israel. And you can read that story in Judges chapter 5. And uh, I just have a note here. Perhaps this is why Jael used the stake tent to, uh, to murder uh, Sisera because of the fact that they didn't have many weapons. They were not a professional military in that sense. Um, in that same story, though, the Bible says that the people willingly offered themselves. So their army, their military was really built on volunteerism. Um, they were not paid soldiers. They were volunteers in the army to protect their country, their fledgling country in their name. But these battles, while taking place in the physical world, are linked with spiritual undertones. In other words, although they are taking place in the physical, they are images and pictures of what is happening in the spiritual, as I said earlier. Um, the angel, for example, that came to Daniel alludes to this fact of this, this spiritual war when he said to Daniel, uh, in Daniel chapter 10, verse 13, I think I gave it to you. Your prayers were heard, right? Your prayers were heard, Daniel, but the prince of Persia withstood me for 120 days. I've heard many sermons preached from this text. I've even preached from this text. Um, uh, you know, the power of prayer, the power of your first time prayer. And, and how the angel told Daniel in this, this vision that he was having, I heard your prayers, but I couldn't come. I was withheld by the prince of Persia. He's not talking about a physical prince. He's talking about a prince of the air, a prince of the powers of the air. Um, in other words, a spiritual entity. I could not come to your assistance, to your aid, because I was withheld by this other spiritual force. In opposition uh, to me. And it was not until, as the scripture says, it wasn't until Michael came, right, that I was able to be loosed and, 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 and freed up, if you will. My calendar freed up. I could come to you. Okay. That's the battle motif. Another important consideration in terms of battle and war and conquest in the Bible was the image of the divine warrior. Throughout the Bible, God is Israel's commander-in-chief. Uh, God, the divine warrior, often used various methods to lead the people to victory over the enemy. Uh, oftentimes, he used nature, for example, when he brought Moses and the uh, Israelites out of uh, 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 Moses and the people of God out of Egypt and they came up to the Reed Sea and that sea parted for them. That was God using his powers to manipulate nature so that they can be victorious. Um, or sometimes he actually used people. For example, again, Moses, he used Moses. He used Joshua. He used Gideon. He used David on and on and on. He used people as uh, agents on his behalf to cause his people to be Victorious, And there are instances, though, <laughs> where the divine warrior fought against Israel, not for Israel. Look at Lamentations chapter 2, verse 5. The Lord was an enemy. He hath swallowed up Israel. He hath swallowed up all her palaces. He hath destroyed his strongholds and hath increased in the daughter of Judah, mourning and lamentation. 
mourning and lamentation. Uh, a lot can be said about what happens when God is against you. When God takes his presence away from you. And not only that, but when God is in active opposition against you, that's a dangerous place to be in. That is a dangerous place to be in. The Old Testament closes, though, and looks forward to when the divine warrior would return. And Paul draws on this imagery in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. And he's speaking of Jesus here. He says, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. And how did he do this? By way of the cross. So here Jesus took away the physical weapons, right? He took away the swords. And, and in fact, when he, we know this, when he showed up, they were disappointed because they thought he was going to be this gallant warrior riding in on a horse, ready to slay anybody who would dare oppose Israel. Sword in hand, shield in hand, right? Just, you know, just imagine like those and all those muscles just like popping out, you know, just, I mean, muscles on his muscles, on his muscles, on his ears, right? Just muscles everywhere. That's what they envisioned for this ruler, this divine warrior, but they missed it. They missed it. And, and dare I say, we here today, we're missing it as well because we are so focused oftentimes on the physical battles that are occurring in the world. We involve ourselves with these battles, with these opinions, these, uh, these always, these opposing uh, things and ideas, not understanding or a better way to say it perhaps is, uh, not willing to understand, not wanting to look deeper at the issue for what is actually happening, which is a spiritual issue. There are spiritual things occurring and the church is focused on what's happening in the physical. If we would just pay attention to what Christ did, look past, look beyond all of this stuff that's going on. There are people who are going to disagree with you. There are people who are going to agree with you. Look past all of what's, what's going on. Walk circumspectly, redeeming the times, understanding that what we're seeing is not relegated or limited to the physical world. Let me take a poll. How many of you believe that there are spiritual forces at work in the world. Raise your hand up high. And it's okay if you don't. Hopefully I'll help you today. Okay, that's okay. That's good. Most everybody. There are spiritual forces at work. And we have to be aware of these things. And in order to, to uh, uh, war and battle against these things, we can't do it by unsheathing the sword. Not that sword. We need spiritual weapons to fight spiritual battles. Jesus did it by way of the cross. A, a complete and total upside down, topsy-turvy idea about what a warrior is supposed to do. He's supposed to slay. I mean, there's supposed to be 50,000 laid at his feet. There were some people laid at his feet, but they were weeping because he was, he had elected and chose to die on a cross for us. Let's go to second Corinthians chapter 10, verse three through six. 
For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. These are, we read this earlier. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your disobedience well, I'm sorry, when your obedience is fulfilled. So let's talk for a minute here about how we go on the offensive. Because pulling down strongholds is no passive matter. Uh, casting down arguments that are, in, that are in opposition to the knowledge of God is no passive issue, no passive matter. Uh, to fight spiritual battles, we gotta have grit, we gotta have determination. We've got to take this seriously. <laughs> We've got to believe, as some of you attest tonight, we've got to believe that there are spiritual forces at work fighting against not only you, but fighting against those who might come to know Christ the same way that you do. But they can't make it to where you are if the church is not doing what it needs to do in terms of fighting that spiritual battle. Okay, what weapons? What weapons? There are many. I just pulled out three. The first one is praise. Praise. Uh, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, is faced with physical em uh, enemies, Ammon, Moab, and Seir. Uh, I've preached from this uh, story. This is probably one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible because of Jehoshaphat's response and how he battles uh, the people or battles his enemies. But all the people here in this story in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, they gather in the house of the Lord with the king. Um, and I think it's a lot can be said about how the king leads them there. Okay. Jehoshaphat was a king who led the people to the house of the Lord and, and they're here. They're in this, the house of the Lord. Um, the Bible says that husbands, wives, children, little children, all these people or little ones, all these people, whole families are in the house of the Lord. As I read this, I can't help but think about a church service. They're here. They're there at church in the house of the Lord. And, and when you read the story in the language of the story, uh, Jehoshaphat is pleading with God. And he, he draws on something I mentioned earlier about how small the Israelite army was. He says, we don't have very many uh, uh, people to pull from. We don't have an army, God. All of these enemies, we've got three nations coming against us. We have nothing to battle with. God, we need you. That's what he says. We need you, God. What happens next is so powerful. There was one there by the name of Jehaziel, who was a Levite son of Asaph. I, I've never, I've read the story many times, but I have not seen this until this week. I kid you not. Jehaziel, a Levite son of Asaph. I've read over that so many times before. This key, this, this, this phrase is so important to what happens next, because if you understand Jehaziel, being a son of Asaph, we know that Asaph was in charge of the worship. He was in charge of the praise, right? Uh, uh, in the house of the Lord. Um, uh, uh, one resource said that uh, the sons of Asaph and, and their father Asaph uh, would decree things on God, uh, for God on the king's behalf. So they had, a, they had a pretty big role, right, to play. A lot could be said about um, our praise, uh, the way we lead praise and worship here, but I'll, I'll, I won't stay there here. I won't stay there tonight. Um, but Jehaziel, Levite son of Asaph, stood up and encouraged the people. Watch what Jehoshaphat does next. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 21 through 22. And when he, Jehoshaphat, had consulted with the people, 
he appointed singers, not soldiers. He's there in the house of God praying and saying, we don't have any soldiers. We don't have anybody to pick up, unsheath a sword to go and fight. Jehaziel stands up, the son of Asaph, the praise worshiper, the praise leader. He encourages the people, said, don't worry, God's got you. Don't fret, God's going to take care of you. And I like to think that Jehoshaphat took a step back and said, okay, this was not a, a mighty man of war who stood up and counseled me. This was a praise leader. Oh, okay, how, how can I respond? His counsel was not to go get soldiers. Where are the singers? Where are the people who can praise? Where are the people who can run around and shout like Sister Smith? Where are those people? That's, that's who I want on my team. If I'm going up against uh, uh, spiritual warfare, I want somebody who can praise. While I'm praying, which is another weapon we're going to talk about, while I'm praying and interceding, they can be behind me and, and circling the, the, the perimeter, praising God, worshiping God. We, we, we think we get this right in the Pentecostal movement. We, well, we think we would get this right in the Pentecostal movement. But there are people among us who do... I heard, uh, I heard uh, uh, Brother Jeff Arnold recently say and tell a story one time about how this, this lady uh, came up to him. He was preaching and stuff, and th th they were going buck wild in church, and as he says it, uh, rucking and bucking or whatever that means. And they were doing some crazy stuff in the Holy Ghost. And uh, he said this lady came up to him and said, well, I don't think all that's necessary. I don't think all that's, you know, we don't have to do all that. And he said to her in no uncertain terms, well, if, you, if that's the case, if you feel that way, then just go on down to the cemetery. That's where all the dead people are. <laughs> that's where all the dead people are. Come on, church. Wake up in our praise. Wake up in our worship to God. Wake up in our, in our uh, exuberance to the Lord. Come on, think about it. We are alive in Christ. I can't help but, I mean, I'm about to run right now just thinking about it because I'm so grateful about what God has done for me. Not only that, I'm so, I'm so uh, in tune with the power of praise, the power that praise has. This is no trivial matter. When you come in here in church on a Sunday morning or Wednesday night, or Friday night youth service. That is an opportunity. You should be praising at home, by the way, but let's just, let's just stay here. We're in the house of the Lord. When you come in here, you should be ready to praise God. Understanding that the power of your praise affects the spiritual world. When you open your mouth and exalt the name of Jesus, when you open your mouth and begin to praise God, things happen in the spiritual realm. You don't even see it, but you can feel it. <laughs> okay. He appointed singers unto the Lord. For what purpose? That should praise the beauty of his holiness as they went out before the army and to say, here's what they said. <laughs> they didn't say, Rah! You know, they didn't do some big battle cry and, and pull out all their swords and their, 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 their bows and their shields and, you know, clashing. They didn't have any of that. What's the Bible say? They went before the army to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Praise 
the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. I can't help but think what David said, the psalmist, let everything that hath breath praise ye the Lord. Praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. Look what happened. And when they begin to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. All the enemies were smitten. Now, let me, let me, not, let me not rush over this, because I told you I love this story. Okay. The word ambushments, we know it, to ambush, right? It's something, uh, it's like a surprise attack, right? The element of surprise, right? It's a surprise attack. I can't help but imagine in my mind, okay, now remember we're talking about Israel, didn't have an army, they didn't have any soldiers, Jehoshaphat didn't appoint any soldiers, he appointed singers. Who were these hidden attackers, these hidden attackers? Who were these individuals that caused uh, uh, or that, that uh, 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 administered a surprise attack on the enemies? I was talking to my wife about this. I said, I can't help but wonder if God did something to the eyes of the enemies there to where their eyes opened. We'll see how he did that later with Elisha. Their eyes perhaps opened and they saw around them all these spiritual forces on behalf of the people of God. And as they went to attack what they thought was a physical being, the sword just went straight through. And what was on the other side? An enemy. Because when you read the story, they killed themselves. They attacked themselves. So I can't help but wonder if God made them see these, these spiritual beings, these apparitions, these uh, 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 non-physical entities. Just kind of like standing there like, what you going to do? Like bowed up, right? And as you go to attack, you think you're attacking somebody, but you're really just slicing through a spirit. An angel. But then the casualty is your, your neighbor. <laughs> a fellow Ammonite. Moabite. Think about that. If God did it before, he can, he can do it again. God gave them the victory over these, these enemies. So much so that the Bible says they were gathering spoils for three days. Three days. Yep, I'll take this right here. Yep, thank you very much. I'll take that right now. Oh, that looks nice. Three days. They were gathering spoils. Not one person lifted a sword. Not one of God's people lifted a sword. It's a miracle. The only thing they lifted was their voice in praise. That's how powerful your praise is. These, spirit, these, these physical enemies met a spiritual defense. And it was because the people purposed it in their heart to praise ye the Lord. I can't help but wonder how different our praise is going to be on Sunday. I'm getting excited. Just think about it. Come on, church. We've got a God worthy of praise. Amen. When you come up out of your sleep tomorrow morning, Friday morning, Saturday morning, you got breath in your lungs. Praise ye the Lord. Hmm. Prayer, praise is powerful. It's a powerful weapon of warfare. The second one I want to talk about is prayer. 
Our prayers have the power to pierce two worlds. Now, I said earlier, we as believers, we exist in the physical world, though we walk in the flesh, as Paul said. We exist in the, in the physical world, but we interact with the spiritual world. In the natural sense, prayer has been the reason why cancer has been stopped. Eyes have been opened. Ears have been unstopped. Uh, prayer has the potential to override and overrule natural laws. In the spiritual sense, Revelations chapter 5 tells us that the prayers of the saints are held in golden bowls as incense. So what we get is this picture of, of, of 24 elders carrying around your prayers in golden bowls, presenting them to God. Stew on that a minute. Psalm 141.2 says, David said, let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. I love this because David here combines two weapons, prayer and praise. You didn't know you could do both at the same time, did you? <laughs> prayer and praise. Two powerful weapons of warfare. These Arminians, I alluded to this earlier, Arminians sought to capture Elisha. They had had enough of his, his uh, prophecies. And Second uh, Kings chapter 6, verse 15 through 17, tells us of a story of, of how Elisha prayed, didn't draw a weapon. He prayed that God would open the eyes of the young man who was, who was really wigging out. He was freaking out that all these enemies were trying to kill Elisha. Look at 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host, that's the Armenian army, com uh, compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? In other words, in modern vernacular, we about to die. <laughs> I've seen... I look up, I see all these enemies. My life just flashed before my eyes. What are you going to do? What, what's we fit to do? Verse 16. And he, Elisha, answered, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Verse 17. And Elisha panicked. Somebody help me, because these, sometimes these glasses don't work. What did it say? And Elisha prayed. Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. We know this story. So it's enough to shout about. But we forget about it. We forget. Pray. God, open my eyes. You feel that weight? What am I going to do? What am I going to do about my future? What am I going to do about tomorrow? What am I going to do about my, my churn? Because they, they drive me crazy. What am I going to do about them? God, open my eyes. Let me see that you are with me. Number one, he's with you. Open my eyes. Let me see that you're with me. You have not forsaken me. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging bread. You are with me. But remind me, I, I don't see you, God, in the physical. And guess what? You won't. You won't see him in your flesh. Well, come on, somebody. 
But when you pray, God, open my eyes, let, let, open my spiritual eyes. Let me see and understand that I'm not alone. I'm surrounded by such a great, a great cloud, a great witness. Elisha's prayers overrode the natural law, binding that young man's eyes and granted him supernatural spiritual eyesight. They say that they say that hindsight is 2020. Can I say that prayer sight is 2020? Okay. Pray. Pray. Don't panic. Don't don't freak out. Don't wig out. Don't lose yourself. Pray. The Bible says that our weapons what take into captivity every thought. Ain't that what it said? Let me go back. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Every thought. <laughs> Praise God. Now, what does this have to do with warfare? Simple answer is everything. We stress ourselves about battles already won. We say, what's the point of living if I ain't fighting? That's how some of us feel sometimes. Can I, can I implore you, church, to stop fighting and start praying? Stop fighting the physical fight. Stop fighting and beating up on your brother and sister. Stop fighting against God's will. Stop blaming others and start praying that God will change you. That's what we need. Pray God change you. If you think everybody is out against you, everybody is, is, is in opposition against you, that may be the case. Pray that God give you the strength to deal with it. Or... Pray, God, change me. Maybe I'm the problem. Oh, boy. <laughs> Again, I tell you, I've had to counsel some people a few times. I just, I just can't. Uh, every time I take a step, people, are, I just feel like everywhere I go, people, everywhere you go, people are against you. The evidence suggests the problem might be you. If you are the common denominator, you might be the problem. Pray. God, change me. See, we don't want that. <laughs> they say that uh, our elders are old and stuck in their ways. Can I say that sometimes young people are stuck in their ways? The difference is elders have earned the right to be old, you know, stuck in their ways. Uh, Stop blaming others. Pray God change you. Prayer is so powerful that God told Jeremiah not to pray on two occasions. We're only going to read one. Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 16. This is the Lord speaking to Jeremiah. Therefore pray not thou for this people. Neither lift up, cry, nor prayer for them. Neither make intercession to me for I will not hear them. I will not hear thee rather. When I read this the thought jumped into our mind. This means that God's default response is to hear our prayers. He has to make himself not hear. And we preached that a couple weeks ago. God does hear our prayers. If he doesn't, it's because he's chosen not to. And when you read this in, when you read this in the context of the scripture, you understand in that, that chapter, you understand there's something happening to where God is not pleased with the people. And so he's saying to Jeremiah, don't, don't, I, I almost imagine, imagine God, not that he has to beg, but I imagine God saying, please don't pray for these people. Because <laughs> then I would have to do something. <laughs> you see how powerful prayer is? 
please don't pray. Don't send them up. You know what? I'm just not even going to hear you. I'm... See no evil, speak no evil, hear no evil. I'm, I'm just not even going to hear you, Jeremiah. Because then I would have to, I would be moved and I would have to act. Prayer is one of the offensive weapons in the whole armor of God list. After truth and loins, breastplate of righteousness, gospel of peace, shoes, uh, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit. We're going to talk about that next. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Another scripture in 1 Thessalonians said, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Why? Because prayer is powerful. It's a weapon. Let me ask you this. And maybe this is on the minds of uh, some of those Israelites who are entering into Gaza right now as we speak. You think they're going to enter that land without having their weapons drawn? Do you think they're going to go across that territory without having those weapons queued in, locked in? You think any time Israel uh, went into battle when they did finally get some weapons in the Old Testament, do you think that they went across the uh, uh, David, for example? Do you think David went down into that valley to fight with Goliath without any weapons? He had a weapon. He grabbed those stones. He had his slingshot. He had his weapon on him. Don't put prayer down. We are surrounded by spiritual forces that are against us, some for us, some against us. You cannot afford to put your weapons down. I carry a weapon for work every day. Do I use it every day? Do I, do I, another word, another way to say, do I draw it every day and fire it? No, but I carry it with me every single day while I'm on shift. Don't put prayer down. You can't afford to. If I could pray, if I could pray in my sleep, I would. <laughs> Somebody say you can. All right, you're talking about astro projections now, okay. <laughs> if I could pray in my sleep, I would. Pray without ceasing. You may not have the opportunity every time to, to, to get on your knees and travail, but do this. Turn off the music. Turn off the podcast. Turn off the, uh, the, 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 the television set. Turn off all that stuff and just meditate on God for a minute. That's a form of prayer. When you just do what you can to get in contact with him. You're driving down the road instead of uh, on the phone with your friend who's always negative. Put the phone down a minute. Girl, I got to pray. Bye. Pray. Pray, 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 pray without ceasing. Amen. Don't stop. Don't stop. T.F. Tinney said uh, this one time, or maybe many times, you may not pray for an hour, but don't go an hour without praying. If you've gone an hour since the last time you've prayed, you've gone too long. Pray, 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 without ceasing. <sighs> mm. The sword of the spirit is the last one I want to cover. I got time. Oh, wait, do I? <laughs> well, we gonna make it work. Ephesians chapter six, verse seventeen. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The prophet Isaiah said, "He hath made my mouth like a sharp 
sword. Of course, we know the sword of the spirit is the word of God, which Ephesians tells us. But this is appropriate for the prophet to say, we know that the, a prophet's greatest weapon is their mouth. <laughs> to be able to speak on behalf of God. <laughs> he said, he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. Mm, to say what we feel like saying. Or to say what God has told us and instructed us to say through his word. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, for the word of God is quick, not man's word. The word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. So is your mouth when you speak what God says. When you speak his word, what does it do? It pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. There's that image again about how these weapons pierce both physical and spiritual domains. The word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Like the other weapons, as I said, this uh, praise and prayer, the word of God has the ability to pierce two worlds, the physical, that's the heart, the mind, and the supernatural, the soul, the spirit. What does this have to do with warfare? Everything. Jesus told Satan it is written several times because Jesus understood that you can't fight spiritual battles with carnal weapons. Satan tried to appeal to the flesh. Man, it's written. Come on. Don't even come with all that. It's written. He understood this. We would do well to understand the same thing. We are, we are, if, <laughs> we are oftentimes uh, fighting and don't even realize it. We're oftentimes being fought and don't even realize it. And we end up, what we end up doing is taking that out on the people that we can see. That anger, that frustration, that disappointment, that depression, all that stuff that you feel, that weight that you feel. And then you go and you take it out on your kids, you take it out on your spouse. That's not, they're not the problem. Most times. <laughs> Amen. But we've got to understand. We've got to understand that we are constantly, these forces are constantly at us to get us. We can't afford to put down praise. We can't afford to put down prayer. And we cannot afford to put down the word of God. It's got to be written in your heart so that it flows out of you. I've told you this before. I may not be able to quote chapter and verse, but I know my word. I know my word. I know what it says. I know what it implies. And I use that very frequently. Amen. These weapons are mighty through God, who is the divine warrior through the car, through the cross. He's the victor that bruised the serpent's head. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, strongholds of fear, jealousy, comparison, ancestral curses that you believe will happen to you. He can pull all that stuff down when we use the weapons that God has given us. And there are others. These are just the three I pulled out. Praise, prayer, and the word. Let's all stand. Everybody feel okay? Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry. All that stuff with Israel and Hamas is still there. But understand what's really happening. Understand what's really happening. I can't help but wonder.
and I'm praying about this, I can't help but wonder what we, the church, ought to learn from this, uh, from what's happening, this current conflict. What uh, cowardly spiritual forces are we allowing to attack us? If I said earlier, if, as I said earlier, that what's happening in the physical is a representation in the image of the spiritual realm, what are we, what are we warring against as a church right now? That we, we need to pick up our weapons in order to actually win the battle, the praise, prayer, and the word. We need to pick these weapons up in order to win. We're fighting and don't even realize it. We're at war and don't even realize it. What, what, what guards are down right now? How are we coasting right now? Yeah, yeah. Ah, my God. Jesus, Lord, help us, help us, help us, help us, help us. I feel the weight, God. Um, but as your word has said so many times and in so many different ways, I want to cast my care on you because you care about me. And so I do that. I want to do that here right now. I want you all to do that too. Just, just cast our cares on him. Let's do that. But then let's also pray, God, show us as the church what we are fighting, what we are battling. What are we up against, God? Where are our uh, guards down? God, reveal those things to us. And help us to be willing to stand in that prayer mirror, God, and, and, be, uh, and allow your word to expose those vulnerable areas. We battle unawares, God. But nevertheless, there is a battle. I pray, God, that you would strengthen every family here represented. This week, the months to come. I don't know what will happen tomorrow. You do. Comfort us, God. Help us to keep everything in perspective. Amen. I feel the Lord. Amen. Somebody say in Jesus name. In Jesus name. Come on, speak his name. Speak his name. Jesus. Jesus name. Jesus name. Jesus name. If you were encouraged by this message and you would like to connect with Ephesus Church or you would like to get in contact with the leadership of this church, please visit EphesusChurch.com. Thank you for being a part 